Uh-oh, we got some crazy stuff going on there. Welcome, everybody, to the Health and Wellness Show. Uh, to... Oh, it's still going on. Can you guys hear that? No. <laughs> no, I, no, I cannot hear. Oh, I'm getting like a three-second delay echo. Hmm. All right. So, sorry, everybody. I need to restart my connection here. So if you guys okay. could take it away, I will be back in a second. This is really bizarre. Okay. Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show. Today is okay. Friday, March the 27th. Hey. <laughs> it's May the 27th. May the 27th. <laughs> and our topic for today is sleep, light, and circadian rhythms. So we're going to cover the topic of sleep and the circadian rhythm or the inner body clock. This quiet pulse is inside all of us, guiding our cycle from sleep to wakefulness and back to sleep again. From jet lag to shift work to inadequate or inappropriate light exposure, disrupting the circadian rhythm can have both short and long-term effects on mood, memory, learning, immune response, and more. Mm -hmm. So where do we want to start? Did everybody get a good sleep last night? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, actually, yes. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up at two o'clock in the morning thinking of SOT articles. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's funny because when my sleep is disturbed, that's how it tends to manifest. Like I can fall asleep, no problem. Me too. But then I'll wake up, kind of middle of the night, and suddenly I'm bright, like super awake. And my thoughts are just churning and everything's going crazy. It's usually around like 5 a.m. or so. That's when a lot of people are getting up, Doug. <laughs> I know. That's when I used to get up. It's when I used to get up. Um, not too long ago, probably about four or five months ago. That's that's my That was my getting up time. So I'm wondering if my body just hasn't figured out that I'm allowed to sleep in now. Mm. <laughs> so Your what do you do? Clock. Yeah, what do you do, Doug, when you wake up at that time? What is your uh, uh, ability to try and go back to sleep, or do you just get up and start your day? No, I don't. I don't get. I do stay in bed and I try to get back to sleep, but it's usually um, very difficult. Um, usually, what I do is I just sit there and stew in whatever thoughts <laughs> happen to be going through my head. But uh, if I, I am a little bit more um, cognizant, I might um, try and do some breathing exercises or try and. Um, you know, just calm down the the constantly turning thoughts and that sort of thing, and and just try and and, and chill out a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes with some success, sometimes with not. Sometimes I'm awake. Like usually, I'll get up at seven, and sometimes I'm just awake until seven, and that's just the way it goes. And I'm kind of I try not to stress about it because that just compounds the problem. So I don't go, oh my god, I need to get back to sleep because that's like probably the worst thing that you could do. So mm-hmm. I just am like, you know what? If if I can't sleep, I can't sleep. No big deal. So yeah, one night. I would not try. Kill you. Yeah, what I would try is just I will just wake up and mm. get out of bed. Get out of bed so my brain will associate the bed with sleeping. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and don't take a nap. And then you know probably the next night you will sleep all the way through seven o'clock. <laughs> Maybe that's actually not a bad idea. I might actually try that. Just get up. <laughs> I have a question. How how often do you guys get the the actual like where you you go to sleep, you fall asleep rather quickly, you sleep all the way through the night, and then you wake up in the morning and you're awake. Like there's no up up and down. Never. 
Never. Pretty much never. every day. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I go through periods yeah. when I do that, but then it goes back to waking up too early. Yeah. I'm super jealous of anybody who can actually do that. <laughs> it's like a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super sleeping power. Some, I'm sleep yeah. man. Sometimes I have a, a big problem with actually getting to sleep. Um, mm. Like actually feeling tired. Um, mm. I'm usually, uh, sometimes I'll get into bed and my heart's racing and I, I'd assume that I've got high, co- high cortisol at night time and, um, mm. and, and that keeps me awake and then I start to panic and then I think, oh no, 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 you know, I need to be asleep. I need eight hours of sleep because I've got to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and then it gets mm. to like 12 o'clock and I'm still not asleep. So I, I usually just, uh, turn a, a sort of lamp on, stick my goggles on and then read a book and then that sends me mm. off. Usually quite a boring book. A book on anatomy and physiology or something, and you know, send you straight off. <laughs> oh no, that would stress me out. That would wake me up. Yeah, uh, that's I've been a good point. Yeah, I've been thinking about trying to uh, incorporate a meditation practice. Uh, it's it's things I've done on and off. Like I've I've done meditation on and off for. Um, you know, probably the last like 10 or 15 years, but I haven't been doing it le- lately. So I've been thinking that, well, if I wake up at five in the morning, why don't I meditate? So I might, I might do that and just get up and, and meditate and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. I've done that. Sometimes I'll fall asleep during the meditation, which is pretty good too. That's fine. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Well, kind of addressing what what Elliot said, um, I have this interesting book that I always look through. It's called Full Catastrophe Living, Using the Wisdom of Your Body and Mind to Face Stress, Pain, and Illness. And it's by Hmm. John Kabat-Zinn. He's kind of like the mindfulness meditation guy. But he has a chapter in here about sleep and sleep stress. And kind of what you were talking about, Elliot, he talks about how you can't force yourself to go to sleep. It's one of those states like relaxation that you have to let go into. And uh, the more you try to get some sleep, the more you create tension and anxiety, which will wake you up. So he says when we talk about going to sleep, the language itself suggests getting somewhere. You know, so perhaps it would be more accurate to say that sleep comes over us when the conditions are right. Being able to sleep is a sign of harmony in your life. And when we are sleep deprived, our thinking, our moods and our behavior can become erratic and unreliable. Our our body becomes exhausted and we become more susceptible to getting sick. So it's that whole (laughs) idea of homostasis, you know, like... uh, he says, ironically, one of the most common and earliest symptoms of stress is trouble with sleeping. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking when I was reading the articles for this show today, you know, um, circadian rhythm disruption, like it is ubiquitous. If you think about it, you know, most people use their electronics before going to bed. They have like a TV and I don't know what and Wi-Fi on the bedroom. They do crazy shift work or come late at at night uh, from work and so forth. It's just like the norm, not the exception, you know. It's true. And in the effect that it has on people, like people are more more impulsive, they are bad learners, they take in information very poorly. Mm -hmm. It's just what it's doing to our society, you know. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. 
I know so many people, it's like unusual for somebody to not have a TV in their bedroom. I know so many people who, they always watch TV before bed, but some of them keep the TV on all night long. Or if they wake up in the the middle of the night, they turn the TV on. That to me is crazy. I'll uh, I'll watch TV. I'll watch TV late now and again, but yeah, keeping it on all night seems like a bit far. Yeah, that's I knew a guy who said thing. he couldn't. He, I knew a guy who said he couldn't sleep without the TV on. Mm-hmm. He needed to that's have crazy. that low volume and the blinky lights and all that kind of stuff, or else he couldn't sleep, which is insane. That would drive me crazy. Just think me of too. all that junk that's being put into your subconscious, especially in the middle of the night when there's all those weird infomercials on TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. sham wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's like programming 24 hours a day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You wake up. For some reason, I really want some Estonian jewelry this morning. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Or that ceramic figurine for only (laughs) $2.99. Free shipping. (laughs) So when I became an adult, I banned having a television in the bedroom. No TV Mm. in the bedroom at all. Yeah, I think that's a good a good rule. Yeah. Well, they also say a TV in the bedroom ruins your marriage if you're married. <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can definitely speak to what you were talking about, uh, you know, sleep disrupting the state of health, you know, lack of sleep disrupting your health. Uh, I've I've never been sicker throughout my life than when I had to be up late. Uh, for some reason or chose to stay up late in certain cases, but most often it's associated with like stress and work and having to work late hours and then getting, you know, four hours of sleep and then coming back to work in the morning and then inevitably we'll get sick when that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've noticed the same thing. If I go, um, you know, an extended period of time without sleep or sleeping, uh, going to sleep too late and not getting enough sleep, that's pretty much guarantee I'll get sick. Yeah. Well, let's talk about circadian rhythms. Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just, was just going to say that I was surprised to learn, you know, that, you know, people who take sleeping pills, which is like, you know, for the general population, it's just like pretty much everybody and their friends yeah. are taking mm-hmm. sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. And uh, it increases um, death from cancer, heart disease, and other illnesses. People who take sleeping pills die sooner than people who do not use sleeping pills. Like, you don't get a good night's sleep. You actually, you know, you know, have 4.6 times uh, more chance than, you know, um, of dying, basically, than people who do not take sleeping pills. Now, is that because of the... uh, is that because of the disruption of like the natural function of the, the brain or the disruption of the rhythms or kind of all of that mixed together? They're speculating that, you know, uh, sleeping pills destroy our brains and our immune system, you know, and also disrupts the circadian rhythm. That's basically why they are so deadly, disrupts the circadian rhythm. And uh, I was reading the list of pills, you know, who have mortality increased the mortality risk. And, uh, yes, it's basically what everybody's taking, 
sulpidem, uh, triacilam, fluoracepam. Everybody takes these drugs. You know, mm. just, uh, yeah, Ambien, yeah. Lunesta. Yeah. Uh huh. Antihistamines, even antihistamines like you know mm. Benadryl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. over the yeah. counter. Yeah. Yeah, I think there was a study in 2009 where 42 million sleeping pills prescriptions were filled in the U.S., a 60% increase since the year 2000. And that's probably just the medicines that are strictly classified as sleeping pills. But never mind all the Uh other pills that people take at night that helps them sleep, like Seroquel or Trazodone or a lot of other (laughs) antidepressants that make you sleepy at night. So people are not getting, you know, even, you know, a good night's sleep. They're not getting any healing at all. Even when they're asleep, their sleep is being disrupted, you know, by the sleeping pills. It's crazy. And even pills that are not sleeping pills, like certain blood pressure pills or antacid pills, disrupt your sleep. Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to be helping your health by taking these pills, but they're really not. They're just messing up your circadian rhythm, which just compounds the issue. Well, the question is, what what actually is a circadian rhythm? Yeah. What is it, Elliot? <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll go to Elliot for the rest of the show. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, for those listeners who 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 aren't aware or who aren't familiar with the term circadian rhythm. It basically refers to um, the body's ability to um, to regulate its functioning, uh, and and that is determined by um, seasonal changes and light cycles. So, in simple terms, um, when the sun rises, your body wakes up. It's meant to wake up in the morning and you release certain hormones that allow you to do things in the day and then when it gets dark your body prepares itself to rest you go to sleep and then your body repairs itself and um and and they call this the circadian rhythm and it's basically the the uh, a rhythm that you know um all animals seem to uh, adhere to and um yeah, it's 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 uh, it's fairly important for human beings to um, to live within this circadian cycle because, as we'll get onto further, um, if 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 the body is not aligned or in sync with the Earth's circadian rhythms, then you can it can lead to a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like the Earth is the master clock, and your body has to get in tune with it. Uh, yeah, yeah, a bit like that, I think. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. There was uh, an article by uh, T.S. Wiley that we looked into for this one. And sorry, I don't have the title in front of me, but uh, she was talking about how there are kind of multiple rhythms, like all these different cycles that we kind of live within. So there's the 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 rotation of the Earth cycle. There is the moon cycle. There is the daily cycle of of light and dark and all these different cycles that we kind of live within and that our body is kind of uh, you know all um animals 
on the earth, our bodies are all kind of attuned to these different cycles that we live within. And if you mess up in some way and, and, and that you aren't any longer in line with those cycles, there's a cascading effect of, of how things can get thrown off that can affect your health. It can affect uh, your brain, how you're able to, to just function on a daily basis. Mm. Well, of course, we've, we've talked a lot in the past about all the, uh, you know, the causes of, of modern diseases, modern chronic illness, and there are many, um, you know, certainly uh, uh, pollution, diet, all of those things, radi- radiation. But I wonder if, uh, if one of the major causes is just our, um, our use of artificial light and getting away from that rhythm, you know, because mm-hmm. back in the day, back in the day, there certainly were some, some pretty nasty diseases going around, but you can look in the record and see that there were not these, these chronic, um, conditions, uh, that we have today as, and, and not as many of them. Um, you know, you would, uh, you would get tired when it got dark and then you would go to sleep, you know, you would have candlelight, uh, then you would wake up on the sunrise. Um, mm-hmm. and certainly I don't, I don't know if anybody does that now. <laughs> Like jo- exactly. Jonathan, I think I think that's a that's a wonderful point. Um, like the 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 prevalence of disease nowadays is absolutely unprecedented. I mean, when you compare it to fifty, sixty, one hundred years ago, um, it, it seems as if you know prevalence of disease is just absolutely skyrocketed. And um, obviously, there's a lot of debate about this. But, um, you know, some people will say it's because of the diet. Other people will say it's because of the environmental toxicity. And, you know, I, I think it's probably a multitude of different factors. However, um, when we consider um, brain physiology and, and neuroanatomy, um, I think, um, I think light is, or let's say artificial light, um, is... Is one of the one of the main um, one of the main factors that contributes to this. Um, th- there's a really interesting um, factor. Jack Cruz points it out, and he, he basically says how conventional wisdom, or let's say paleo wisdom, would tell us that um, food. Well, in fact, all conventional wisdom actually would say that food is what controls metabolism. And therefore, food determines the state of, of one's health. And th- there's, there's a big problem with this. And this is not really touched upon in even in the alternative circles of health. Um, I think when you look at um, neuroanatomy, you can, you can start to piece it together and it makes a little, little bit more sense. Um, there's, there's a really interesting fact. And it's that... Basically, the way that your brain uh, accounts for food and therefore determines uh, your metabolic rate is through something called a leptin receptor. Okay, so when you eat food, that food is digested and signals are sent to the brain and your brain essentially um, will, will regulate how much leptin you, you release. And leptin basically determines what you do with that energy, what you do with the food energy, so how you metabolize it. Hmm. And interestingly, um, leptin tracks in the brain actually only account for about 10% of the total um, neural tracks. So 10% of your brain is technically wired to food, whereas Hmm. when you compare this to light, um, 
up to 48% of your brain is actually um, wired to light circuits. <laughs> and um, the, this is very important because, you know, there's, there's this, this idea that, you know, uh, it's dependent on what food you eat as to how you metabolize that food. But basically what Jack Cruz's point hit is um, with, with this is that actually, no, food is not the main controller of metabolism. You know, up to half of your brain is determined by how much light you are exposed to. And therefore, your hormonal um, cycles and your metabolic processes are determined by light and not food. And, Mm. you know, I'm not saying that food doesn't contribute to this, but I think it's very important to look at the neuroanatomy and um, and to see that actually like... um, you know, maybe maybe food is 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 not the controller of metabolism. Maybe it's actually wholly determined by light. Um, <laughs> I have. Well, there a, were a couple of a, there were a couple of studies. Would, one that was done at Northwestern, and they showed that bright morning light exposure. Uh, people who get bright morning light, uh, they have a lower BMI than people who had light later in the day, and this was independent of you know, how much they exercised or how many calories they took in when they went to like how early they, they went to sleep or how early they woke up. Uh, it was independent uh-huh. of their age and their season. So they were saying in that article that light synchronizes the internal body clock and it regulates circadian rhythms. And then that in turn regulates your energy balance. And I know they do a mm. lot of, you know, this is with actual people, but they did like a, uh, a mouse study where they uh, exposed mouse to day-night cycles of 20 hours instead of the usual 24. And after six to eight weeks, the mice in that group showed a greater weight gain. They showed changes Mm -hmm. in their body temperature rhythms and alterations in hormones like insulin and leptin. And these mice also were more impulsive, and they had a decreased ability to adapt to new strategies in new situations. I have an interesting observation that ties in with everything that we've, you know, that we have discussed so far. Some research which shows that the aging eye filters out blue light affecting circadian rhythm and health in older adults. So it is interesting that if you are exposed to more light during the day, well, that's good. You have a better night's sleep. You have a good circadian rhythm. But when you have cataracts in your eyes as you age... Um, that is impaired. You know, it doesn't matter if you're outside and the uh, sun is shining, you will still have a dim uh, view of what you see. And that affects the body's circadian rhythm. And I think it is interesting that people say that, yes, cataract is just an aging eye. Well, wait a minute. I did my ophthalmology rotation not too long ago. And I was surprised to see that people as early as 40 years old were having cataracts. And the mm-hmm. ophthalmologist basically told me, yes, when you hit your 40s, you know, think about cataracts. That's not normal, I thought, you know. There's, mm-hmm. And if you think about it, it's basically a caramelization of the lens. It's like, you know, an aging eye. It could be related with a diet high in sugar and carbohydrates that damages, you know, the lens with, you know, advanced the ages, which is advanced glycated and proteins, you know. 
Yeah. So that yeah, that's a way to tie in how we are eating high carbs with the, the health status of our eyes, which then mm. filters out light. <laughs> it's a yeah. vicious cycle, basically. Yeah. Well, that's mm. that's very interesting that you mentioned cataracts, Gabby, because. Um, Right. It, w- within the retina of the eye, um, you have uh, uh, um, an, an omega-3 fatty acid called docosahexaenoic acid, and it's referred to as DHA. Now, what DHA actually does in the eye, uh, you, you've, you've, it's mostly found in, in the neuronal membranes. In the brain, it's very prominent in the brain, but it's also um, the highest concentration in the body is actually found in the retina of the eye. Now, what DHA manages to do is um, natural light exposure from the sun um, hits the retina, and DHA actually um, it, it has an interesting property. What it does is um, it converts photonic energy into electrons, and so it essentially takes light from the sun and converts it to energy that is then sent to the brain. Now, DHA in the eye is, is extremely important, and there's no way that the eye can actually function without any DHA. And funnily enough, um, what actually happens with blue light exposure, and this is artificial light exposure from laptops and from phone screens and from computers and TVs, blue light exposure directly causes the oxidation of DHA in the eye and in the skin. And what this, what this does is it essentially causes um, reactive oxygen species, which are referred to as free radicals. It causes free radicals in the eye, and it degrades the, the DHA. So basically, in simple terms, the more blue light you are exposed to, the, the more DHA is degraded in the eye. And now there's a, there's a theory... There's a theory that cataracts is, in fact, a way for the eye to protect itself against mm-hmm. the degradation of DHA. Because mm-hmm. without DHA in the eye, the eye would essentially um, die. You know, it wouldn't function. So there is a theory that, DHA, that, that cataracts are actually a protective mechanism of the body to prevent that degradation of DHA within the eye. It's hmm. fascinating. So I wonder if cataracts would go away or if you should uh, postpone your cataract surgery until you collect your faulty light exposure and not take it away and then expose yourself to the same blue light that you were watching before your cataract started. Well, it's it's interesting because the the article that Gabby was talking about, I had the the same thing jumped out at me as it seemed to her as well. They just attribute it to aging, you know. As soon as uh, you know, as soon as people start to age, then their eyes, you know, they they start to be able to take in less uh, less light through their eyes, um, and it starts to filter it. But anytime any anybody attributes some kind of like disease state to aging like red flags go up for me because it's like, you know, this is not a normal function of the human body. It's the same thing. They always say that, oh yeah, you you start to produce less stomach acid as you age. Well, is it aging or is it because, you know, the accumulated bad stuff you've been doing over the course of your lifetime is starting to catch up? (laughs) Stress, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, bad eating, stress, you know, all, all these kinds mm-hmm. of things are, are what generally is, is causing this, this degradation. It's not normal 
for a human body to break down as it ages. You know, you, you should still remain toward like um, maybe not 100% functional like you were when you were 20 years old, but but your body should still function as it as it's supposed to up until the point that you die. And I was I was so naive that I still thought that it was only like 70 years old people or 80 80 years old people that got cataracts. And during that rotation, it's like, you know, the ophthalmologist basically told me, yes, 40 years old and you start seeing cataracts. You, what? It's like yeah. two years away. <laughs> yeah. And it is interesting. In this same article, they found that the incidence, incidence of insomnia and daytime sleepiness was significantly significantly reduced in those who had um, cataract surgery to yeah. remove the clouded lens, you know. Hmm. Okay. So essentially, it's like the disease of civilization. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's why you're seeing it Only- in such younger and younger populations, because they're exposed to more blue light. They're exposed to more bad food than previous generations. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, y- you know, the fact that we are seeing it so early and these supposed, um, you know, diseases of aging and aging processes and all of these things i think we have to question what does this actually mean you know and if we put this in the context of circadian cycles or circadian rhythms there is an element of timing to this you know um aging would essentially if you are 20 years old and your telomeres are the age of 60 years old you know your your chronological age is 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 much less than your biological age and you look like you're 50 years old when you're only 20 years old then that you know what that says to me is that you are literally you you are in some way increasing you are increasing the time that your that your cells have to um essentially you're speeding yeah you you, you're speeding up the time limit like you've got something called a cell cycle so that's mitosis what that means is 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 the cell goes through specific cycles every day all the time and it's when it regenerates it repairs everything like that and so we're basically like like headless on a wheel running on a wheel basically (laughs) we're aging too fast yeah, we're, we're aging too fast because perhaps what we're doing is we are, um, I guess how this links into circadian biology is that um, because we are out of sync with the natural cycles, then what is happening is we are in some way speeding up those cellular processes. We're speeding up um, the cell cycle in that we are literally aging ourselves because we are not um, we are not aligned with with the natural cycle, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was an article on SOT just about that called "Cultural Pressures Can Override Your Biological Sleep Clock," and that's mm-hmm. what it's talking about: is the uh, cultural pressures and daily responsibilities, and you know, you it dictates your sleep cycle. So people wake up at times that are still highly dependent on their biological clocks. But then they have all these morning responsibilities and school and work, you know what I mean? And it puts stress on, on, on the body and on the system. And it's like, no wonder there's such degradation on so many levels, health, eye, body. You're going against that natural cycle and it's aging you quicker and quicker. And people leave their phones on and their bosses can contact them through the, 
social media of the phone at any time. You know, it's that's I don't know. I cannot imagine anything more stressful. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Mm. How are you going to relax? Well, and in this study, they used an app on a phone to measure people's <laughs> typical oh, sleeps. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me think of the uh, the, the Fitbit um, that like the Fitbit health monitor thing that connects to an, an app on your phone, and um, a lot of people use it to monitor their sleep patterns. Um, my brother does this, you know, and he'll he'll get up in the morning and look at the app and it shows how much he moved throughout the night. And so when he was restless and when he was not restless mm. and so it, you know, that, that EMF is like pulsing, pulsing through your body the, the whole time you're sleeping that and you got it right bizarre. on your wrist too. You know, oh, does the app know. work though? Can you like disconnect? Like, can you put it in, <laughs> can you put it in <laughs> sleep mode? Yeah. yeah right. Please. I, you know, Honestly, I'm not sure, but I don't think so. I mean, the the, the mm. phone needs to communicate with the device on your wrist in order to record the data. So, uh. it's a fashion right now. Everybody wears these wrists. Like, oh, I'm so cool. You know, I have. Oh, right. <laughs> that just shows how sad our society is. You need to wear a device on your wrist to tell you how much you slept or how much you've walked. Like, you can't figure <laughs> yeah. that out on your own. <laughs> you need something to tell you. Oh, you slept five hours last night. Well, thank you. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> it that is crazy. Tired. Well, the, the, it's like a, a new uh, technology that just came out, and it's on science and technology called Pavlock, the device that uses an electric shock to zap users out of bad habits. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it's really that, called yeah. Pavlock. <laughs> so you get a mild electrical sensation that's uncomfortable enough to break you of your bad habit. And it's funny, they they, they, they use it to get people to quit smoking. It seems yeah. to be there. Yes, it's like, you know, let's do some learned helplessness, self-inflicted, please. <laughs> How does it know it's when been... you've engaged in a bad habit, though? How does it know that you smoked or that you ate chocolate or are staying up too late? Satellites. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. The NSA <laughs> shocks you. It hooks into, it hooks into your webcam. <laughs> Google camera. Yeah. Been very, a very, I've been doing all these rotations, you know, and it has been very, you know, scary in a sense. It's like that sixth sense, like I see that people kind of think. <laughs> because it's even right now, for example, I'm doing trauma rotations. And even there, there's no escape. Know, people as early as 38 years old, they have arthrosis of their knees that are typical mm. of 60 years old. You know, wow. it's, it's wow. crazy. It's crazy. It's like everybody's just like going down the tubes and nobody like taking notice. Yeah. <sighs> oh, to but answer your question, Doug, uh, basically with the Pavlock is you push the button to activate an app that gives you a shock <laughs> when you have a bad craving. <laughs> so you are shocking yourself. That's yes. what it comes down to. So why do you even need the device? <laughs> Just get a battery and... Uh, Put your tongue on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bad, 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 bad. That sounds really dumb anyway. I mean, you can't self-regulate that kind of thing. You're like, I really want to do this bad habit right now. 
should I shock myself or no? Because I really want to do that thing. Oh, God. We're the masochistics. Yeah, I, wonder I guess the question is, though, that, you know, what all these people you're talking about, Gabby, that you're seeing, you know, 38 years old and they've got like degraded knees of a 60 year old. Mm-hmm. Like, I, won- I wonder, you know, just getting back to the topic of our show, how mm-hmm. much getting back onto, you know, getting more in sync with these natural rhythms would actually help with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's argument for both before we go to the to the circadian rhythm. I've got to mm-hmm. say that you know, diet is really very important mm-hmm. because you know, some people, even that we know in the forum and so forth, have had reversed their conditions. You know, um, just because of the diet and detox. So I think mm-hmm. that plays a very important, a very important part. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't diet yeah. also help regulate your, your rhythms? I mean, it, it, it seems logical because the, uh, you know, if, especially in the instance of sugar, if you're, if you're spiking your blood sugar, then it's much harder to get to sleep. And then you, um, you either don't or you crash and then you wake up in the middle of the night a lot. Um, mm-hmm. so it seems like, cor- you know, correcting that. And, um, I, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head, but at least in the example of sugar, um, if you were to minimize or eradicate your consumption of sugar, that that alone would help to regulate your, your circadian rhythms. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it also with the sugar thing, it depends when you eat it as well. Mm. Um, if you, if you eat, if you consume any carbohydrates or even protein, um, uh, you know, up to four hours before going to bed, you get that insulin spike. And then that does have a cascade effect on, um, on something called prolactin, and um, we'll get into that a little bit later, but prolactin is extremely important to regulate your circadian cycle. So if you are eating sugar, and I guess especially if you're eating it, um, if you're eating it before bed, then you pretty much throw your system out. Um, well, the, the same res- thing goes resp- for, for. Sorry, uh, go ahead. For caffeine, there was an article: yeah. caffeine at night resets your circadian clock. So you have circadian clocks. Uh, basically in all of your cells and your organs throughout your body. So the amount of caffeine, like in an espresso, if you drink coffee like three hours before bed, it delays your melatonin surge because your melatonin is supposed to spike at night and your cortisol spikes in the morning. So if you have Mm -hmm. caffeine, it'll delay that melatonin surge uh, by about 40 minutes, which I didn't think was that bad. Like, maybe that's the reason yeah, that people drink worse. the caffeine. <laughs> I thought it would be worse <laughs> than that. But um, they said in that article, having caffeine three hours before bed is actually better than being exposed to um, bright light before bed. It's like half of the mm-hmm. effect. So maybe wow. if you're exposed to bright light before bed, it would be like 80 minutes before your melatonin turned on. And if you mm-hmm. compound yeah. that, like doing it every day for months and months and years and years, I mean, I'm sure the effect will build up after time. Exactly. Um, and workers have more heart disease, more diabetes, mm-hmm. more cardiovascular disease. The nurses, the first thing they do in the night shift, they go have some coffee and there's always mm-hmm. bright light. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh, and, yeah. and well, in... 
with with the um, the the circadian clocks, um, as as you said, Tiff, um, you know, almost every single cell in the body contains these clocks. They're they're types of proteins, and you know, they have different genes that code for proteins. And I mean, to really grasp the importance of these clocks, like you have to understand that these clocks are basically what determine when you replicate your DNA, when you repair your DNA, how you metabolize energy, and even like when the cell rests. So at nighttime, you know, the cell is in a rested state. If your circadian clock or if your cellular clock is um, dysfunctional, then your cells don't know what to do. You know, they don't know when to repair. They don't know when to multiply you know they don't know when to metabolize energy they're they're literally thrown off and and this system is like it's highly highly specific um you know like these processes can only happen at certain within certain like time frames you know like if if there's a cellular reaction that happens at 11 o'clock at night when it's actually meant to happen at nine o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. um it's basically rendered unsuccessful you know, it mm. doesn't do what it's meant to do. And so timing is, is really important for bodily function, I think. Um, you know, almost every function in the body is dependent on these molecular clocks and this timing. Um, you've got, there's a part of your brain called the hypothalamus. And within the hypothalamus, there's something called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Now, this, this is like a bundle of cells. And it's known within the scientific community as sort of like the master clock. So the suprachiasmatic nucleus, it basically signals all of the other molecular clocks in your body. And it determines when you, um, when you metabolize energy, when you, uh, you know, when your cellular process take place. When you and release really certain hormones too. Well, exactly. I mean, almost mm-hmm. everything is, is determined by this, by this, um, hypotha- hypothalam- hypothalamic, um, circuit. And um, what's really what's most interesting about this is that what we know is circadian circadian rhythms is that it is only light dependent. So the the common idea is that the suprachiasmatic nucleus it, it, it regulates via light stimulus. So when you wake up in the morning, you get natural light, and this is when it triggers your circadian rhythm for that day. But what actually isn't known uh, by many people is that the suprachiasmatic nucleus actually accounts for food density as well. So the electrons in food uh, can also affect how your suprachiasmatic nucleus um, regulates your circadian cycle. So basically, in simple terms, what this actually means is, is that when you're in the summer and the spring, in high natural light cycles, um, you your body has a better ability to consume lower electron-dense foods, being fruits and carbohydrates. Now, this links up Uh with natural cycles anyway, because fruits and carbohydrates only grow in the summer. Now, your mitochondria, which are basically the um, energy-producing factories of your cells, uh, your mitochondria, if if, uh, basically... What you do is you in highlight cycles, when your suprachiasmatic nucleus is entrained to light, you take electrons from the sun and your body can take those electrons and turn them into energy that your mitochondria produces via ATP. Now, if you're eating an extremely high fat diet 
possibly in ketosis in the summer while you're getting high light, what this can actually do is overburden the mitochondria. It means you can have too much energy and your body doesn't know what to do with it. So this this does speak to the idea that if someone is is not necessary, say if someone's not very ill, then it may not be such a good idea to be in deep ketosis in the summer because they're getting enough electrons from from the sun. You know, they they they're getting enough energy from the sun, so they don't want to be overburdened. Whereas what what actually happens is that when the light cycles begin to fade, when you get to autumn, your superchiasmatic nucleus actually stops becoming entrained to light cycles and it starts to become entrained to temperature so in our natural environment as human beings the thing that would trigger summer ending is that low low light cycles you'd have lower um you'd have shorter days and it would start to get colder so what what your hypothalamus does when it starts to get colder is it activates something called a leptin melanocortin pathway this is a pathway that most people don't live in because we're not exposed to cold and we're exposed to artificial light all year round. But the problem is, is um, this is a, a, a big problem. Um, when you're in a low light cycle environment and low cold temperatures, you're not getting the electrons from the sun. So you need to compensate by eating high dense energy foods such as fat. You know, fat mm-hmm. is the highest electron-dense food in, in nature. And therefore, ketosis, um, as we see in mammalian species, is actually a hibernation or is, is a way to get through the winter via not having electrons from the sun but accounting for that via electrons through the food. And so, uh, sorry if that was a bit long-winded, but what I'm trying to say is that circadian rhythms are not only dependent on light, but they are actually dependent on on, on temperature as well so, so this would this would suggest that perhaps in the winter what we should really be doing is being in a deep state of ketosis and cold therapy is probably vital vitally important for our circadian rhythm hmm. mm. sure. so it sounds like the, we're uh, all the... kind of screwed because <laughs> <laughs> most people do not expose themselves to abundant sunlight even if it is summertime and then you have central heating in houses and heated seats in your cars in the winter time so you're not exposing mm-hmm. yourself to the cold so basically you're out of sync at all seasons of the year yes that is <laughs> sync with nature yeah that um, kind of speaks you- to the whole like the the i guess maybe macrobiotic is not really the right word but the idea of like living with the environment you know so you know in the in the summer the the fruit and the berries come out um, and that's when you can eat those things depending on where you live and what grows where you live and then they go away in the winter so you would have to rely on other sources mm-hmm. exactly and i think that is the natural state of the human being and um you know and this may be one of the reasons why people who do go into ketosis um, say if they're severely ill, they may not necessarily be able to completely reverse their disease because, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't discount the fact that food can have such an amazing effect on our health. But if we consider, you know, these, these, these biological clocks that basically are the main determinant for cellular repair, then it would make sense as to why some people do go into ketosis, they clean up their diet, and they can't necessarily 
you know, they're still encountering problems because I think mm -hmm. the circadian factor may not have been addressed. Hmm. Or maybe in those people who have been addressed and they still have problems, well, there's also the research about stealth infections, you know. A lot of people made progress only when they did, um, when they addressed those specifically. And I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure that it also has to do with the circadian rhythm. Like I remember uh, Professor Willey in the book Lights Out, she was saying how you're exposed to blue light, you know, there is a disruption of your gut flora. Like, it mm. thrives during the night, you know. So there could be a connection there, too. Several multiple factors, as you're saying, but it is interesting, you know, how all is intertwined in one way or another. Mm. Yeah. Well, another thing is the circadian rhythms. Being off your circadian rhythm actually lowers your immunity, which is going to make you more susceptible to stealth infections. And some of those stealth infections, once you've got them, even if your immune system is back to its its ideal state, those stealth infections can be so terrible that, you know, just by having your immune system low for enough time to kind of contract it, getting rid of it becomes a huge issue. Mm -hmm. And one of the exactly. things that worry me is that even if I make all the efforts to be in tune with nature, circadian rhythm, there is still EMF pollution, you know. Yeah. yeah. Anytime I can turn my computer, I have my Wi-Fi disabled, but if I, mm -hmm. you know, put it on, I can see like five different networks like trying to connect with yeah. my computer. It's just like crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're surrounded. Yeah. Yeah. And cellular phone towers. I mean, we've got one of those every hundred meters now, especially in dense urban areas. Mm -hmm. We're on top of buildings. They're everywhere. So, yeah, escaping EMF is a huge issue. And, like, we, we can see with the research that with this increased EMF exposure, you've got this, um, you know, drastic increase in cancers of all different forms. And, um, and you know, there's, there's an interesting link um, between cancer cells and, you know, and these, these circadian rhythms. Um, because what they've actually found is that, um, you know, one of one of only two cells in the human body do not actually have functioning circadian clocks, and one is the testes, which is um, you know it, it doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, I think the reason for that is that it doesn't need need to be regulated by time because it it needs to constantly be producing sperm. But then mm. the only other cell that they found was not regulated by these clocks was actually cancer cells. And so what, what they say is that ca cancer cells, um, what, what you often see is a rapid, uncontrolled cellular di cell division, um, which, which basically cannot be regulated or cannot be, be prohibited by normal sort of feedback systems. And so what they hypothesize is that cancer cells actually have no timing mechanism. They don't have these clocks. And so, so what's happened somewhere down the line, it could be from environmental exposure or it could be from circadian dysregulation as being the orig originating point. But what they say is that something happens to, to basically um, the, the cells undergo a mutation. And what this mutation does is essentially suppresses the expression of genes, which are the circadian clocks. And therefore, what you've got is you've got this speeded up um, cellular division that, that is basically or, or, or could be theorized to originate with circadian dysregulation, you know? Mm -hmm. So rapid aging, essentially. Exactly. That is exactly it.
Hmm. It's almost like, you know, uh, those, those molecular clocks, um, if they're not in tune with the natural cycles, then they, 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 um, they speed up. You know, they speed up, and so you do get aging because they have nothing to regulate them. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's and what that we're guess, well, I was going to say that that, I guess, uh, explains why tumor cells seem to re- uh, reproduce and grow so rapidly. They aren't inhibited by any kind of uh, clock system. They just go and go and go and go. Multiply, multiply, multiply. That is exactly it. Yeah. So without the internal clock, we would just kind of mutate into one giant tumor. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, so you have to look at the research. You know, what is autoimmune? You know, you've got autoimmunity, you've got cancers, you've got all of these different unknown diseases that are just rapidly coming up within the past sort of 100 years. And you think, well, what has changed? Okay, we've got EMF. We've got artificial blue light. Yeah, okay, our diet has gotten worse, but still, you've got you've got those factors. Mm. But then this also speaks to why eating fruit in the middle of winter is also going to throw off your circadian rhythm, because Mm -hmm. you know your body is is designed to to basically run with with the cycles of the earth. And so, if you're eating a banana in on Christmas Day, you know what are you telling (laughs) your body? You're telling your body it's summer, but you're not getting the light from the sun. (laughs) So, it's so business. it's like a good, <laughs> basically, unless I know this sounds really, really sort of um, militant or really extreme, but unless you are in the cold in the winter, unless you're you're cold adaptive in the winter, and you're out in the sun in the summer, then your circadian cycle is going to be messed up no matter what. You know, it, mm. it doesn't matter. It, it's it's really. It's really, uh, it's quite extreme, you know. I I have a challenge for you on that, Elliot, just to be the the devil in the details here. What about everybody that lives south of the equator or people who live in tropical cultures or warm environments? (laughs) That's a really good question. Uh, I think south of the equator, it applies to the same as the northern hemisphere. You still get seasonal changes. They, They just, they're not as pronounced, I think. But with someone who lives on the equator, now, I would imagine that they can basically live on carbs all year round, you know, and... <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't have to get, you know, they, the, the thing is, like, yeah, fructose can have damaging effects on the body, but if you're in sunlight all of the time, then the, the amount of energy that you're getting from the sun increases your redox redox potential in your mitochondria now basically i would personally say that the main determinant of living a healthy life is mitochondrial function you know Mm. there's there's been loads of studies on people on really shit diets uh pardon my french (laughs) (laughs) yeah on really bad diets but they have lots of sunlight they manage to live for so long you know like it doesn't make sense or you look at the okinawans you know now there's different there's sort of um there's debate about this but uh, from what i've seen is that there's no one disputing the fact that okinawans eat a lot of rice you know rice is a very simple carbohydrate you you could say uh, you know (laughs) carbohydrates are bad you know they cause glycation they cause all of these different things they raise your insulin but okinawans still have the highest um highest um longevity yeah longevity they still have it but then if you look at the okinawans lifestyle most of them spend most of their time outside 
And they yeah, also they eat all portions of the pig. <laughs> yes. They eat exactly. all parts yes. of the pig, That's depending true. on an ailment that they have. They will eat a portion of the pig to coincide with that ailment. I think some of this would have to do with uh, genetic expression, too. I mean, it's not like a Swede could move to the Caribbean and just start cramming down sugar. Mm. You know, um, exactly. They, I think it depends kind of on where where you're from genetically. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned this on the show in the past, but it just reminds me of a story of a, there was a guy, uh, in Detroit, this is a story from a, a doctor in Detroit. The guy came to him <clears throat> ostensibly super healthy, ran all the time, juiced, ate a lot of fruit, um, and had came in with stage four lung cancer. And he was like, you know, I've never smoked. I've never done anything bad. I really am in good health. And he said, well, you're, you're Scandinavian, you know, so you can't be having all this sugar. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what, what caused it. Um, and so that, you know, I think it really depends on, on where you cause you see like the South Pacific islands, um, where they, you know, may eat, like you said, a lot of carbs or a lot of fruit, um, and get their sugar that way, but they have very long lives. Um, it just depends on where you're from and what grows around you and how those genes have developed. But there's lots like of here, obes- you know. obesity in South Pacific Islanders too. That's mm. yes. the, the introduction of the Western diet, for yeah. sure. Okay, that's mm. what I was gonna say. Costa Rica has among the highest obesity rates, uh, <laughs> highest sugar consumption as well. And then you have to think about that populations have emigrated throughout, you know, centuries, millennium. You know, Costa Ricans' population is basically most of them are Caucasians, even though they are Costa Ricans. Mm. So one can argue, yeah. <laughs> mm. So how can we repair our circadian clocks and take advantage of sunlight to get good sleep? Yeah, I have a question along those lines. Um, I I got a question uh, from a a friend of mine who's listening to the show um, who asked about uh, night shifts and how might somebody who who, uh, essentially has to keep their job and work a night shift um, handle that? And, you know, is there anything that they could do? To oh kind of yeah. Regulate that. About that. <laughs> I mean, what, would you say like, would you say total darkness when they are sleeping during the day? Would that be one way to yes. to help? That would be one way. For me, it was like a two three years adaptation. You never get adapted to the night shift, never. Hmm. And uh, what I have found out, yes, um, extra supplements, extra antioxidants like vitamin C. And um, other than the detox, uh, caring for yourself, taking snacks that are healthy to the night shift. Uh, when you're done, basically you are like highly impulsive because of sleep deprivation. You have to resist any urge to keep working or or continue as if you will have a normal day like everybody else. You don't have a normal life. So that's <laughs> yeah. the first thing. You have, you, you have to set that. You have yeah. to accept that you basically need to go now to bed, even though it's 9 or 10 in the morning and everybody's doing activities. You have to go to bed. And sleeping yeah. in total darkness is very important, even though it's 10 o'clock in the morning. That has is, there some kind of, is there some kind of light therapy that could be done to mm-hmm. supplement the natural light, you know, like a, like a light box or something like that? Like, say, when you get home from the night shift, you know, could or maybe before you go to the night shift, could you hit a light box and get a dose of... UV or something. I don't know. I'm not familiar really. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is kind of um, adjusting your body to rhythms that aren't the the natural rhythms. So what you Mm want to do is expose yourself to light, like sunlight, 
um, when you wake up and be exposed to less light in the quote-unquote evening, like when you're supposed to be going to bed. So I know I've read sure. some stuff about using those uh, blue-blocking glasses, um, the yellow glasses that you see. They're kind of becoming all the rage right now. You're seeing them all over the place. Um, you can get them on Amazon for like 10 bucks or something like that. Um, and, yeah, I've got them too. I've got them too. And I actually think everybody should be using those, like, regardless of whether or not you're working on a night shift. Like, you know, around uh, 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening, you just put those things on, especially if you're going to be on a computer um, or exposed to any kind of artificial blue light. Um, but but by doing that, if somebody who's on the night shift, if they put on those glasses kind of when their shift ends so that they're not being exposed to that blue light from the daytime sun, um, that can help. And of course, like Gabby was saying, sleeping in uh, in complete darkness is important. So there there are steps you can take, but I think Gabby's right when she says you never really totally adjust. Like your body mm-hmm. can't possibly be out of sync with the natural circadian rhythms and function at its optimal state. Yeah, yeah. All sure. those things are basically just patches. So you just have to do whatever mm-hmm. you can and try whatever tricks. And short of becoming a vampire, there's really. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds well, quite difficult, but um, I know for for some people this may not be an option. But if it is an if it is an option, then it would really be a good idea just to to stop stop working the night shift. You know? Yeah, sure. I think that's that's yeah. Be, be on the lookout for a better job. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. great. But I do understand that there are some professions that you cannot do without. It's just like how this yeah. world works. You know, you're gonna get sick, or you're gonna have an emergency in the middle of the night. There's gonna be somewhere there to you know attend you. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think yes, all the efforts of all the efforts that I have tried. Uh, also doing something to reduce electromagnetic um, pollution has mm-hmm. worked. So that's why I'm thinking the only thing I haven't tried yet is grounding my bed. I have still that mm-hmm. on my to-do list mm-hmm. so I can ground myself <laughs> while I sleep. Yeah. Grounding, well, yes. Grounding's an interesting one because, uh, yeah, the, the earthing guys, like the guys who promote kind of earthing, um, the idea that you want to be in contact with the surface of the planet, um, because what it, it does is uh, essentially it gives, gives you more electrons. Um, but apparently the, the, uh, one of the cures for jet lag is to get out, um, and go barefoot on the ground. Um, because the, basically what you're doing there is you're tuning yourself into the natural cycles of the earth at the location that you're at. So that's actually one way to kind of get yourself back in sync with those uh, circadian cycles. Yeah, ground and yourself also, and expose yourself to the sun at the new place where you go to and mm-hmm. start eating at the time that people in that area would be eating. Don't sleep. Yeah. Stick to your yeah. old eating schedule. And there is actually um, a, a way to um, prevent that even further. And that's actually, this is really interesting. I, I didn't even know this this worked like that. But what what you can do, apparently, is because the, um, the electronics in a plane um, always have to be, to some extent, grounded. I don't know how that works because I don't really understand the physics behind it. But um, from what I've read is that planes are naturally grounded to some extent via um, the technology that they use or something like that. And so 
what one of the recommendations can actually be is that to take your shoes off while you're on the plane. Take your shoes oh. off on the plane. I and always your, do that. Yeah, put your feet <laughs> on the metal. But bo- uh, uh, there, there should be like um, uh, an area of um, the plane, like whether it's connected to the chair or whether it's on the side of the uh, the seat or something like that. But it's like a mm-hmm. metal. Anything that's metal, if you put your feet, you, you, you go barefoot and you connect your feet to the metal on the plane, then you will be grounded on that pl- plane. Yeah, wow. I read that too. Hmm. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. Of the front seat. Yes, I have done yeah, that. Yeah, the footrest. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. I always instinctively take my shoes off on planes. I'm just more comfortable that way. So that's mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. One other interesting thing, I mean, going back to kind of Tiff's question on what you can do to help get yourself back into these cycles, one of the articles on SOT that we read um, was called Eating When You Should Be Sleeping May Disrupt Circadian Rhythms and Affect Memory. And what they basically did is they um, took some rats and um, started feeding. They're naturally um, nocturnal, so they usually eat at nighttime. So they had one uh, group of rats that they fed at the normal time between 9 p.m. and 3 a.m., they took another group of rats and they fed them at nine between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., so in the daytime when they normally would be sleeping. And uh, they said that although the, both groups slept the same amount of time, the mouse fed during the day had more frequent, shorter bouts of sleep. Their circadian rhythms were out of sync, which affected levels of proteins, including one important for learning and memory. The misaligned mice also performed, performed less well on memory tests. So I think... It's not just what you're eating, but also the timing of your eating, which Elliot uh, talked about before as well. But um, I think that one thing to get yourself back in sync with these cycles is to have regular meal times and stick to them rather rigidly if you can. So, you know, eating at breakfast time, at lunchtime, at dinner, or just at lunch, uh, breakfast and dinner, however your your schedule works, you know, just keeping those those um meal times kind of more regimented will help you get back into that natural cycle. So I wonder if that's why maybe intermittent fasting helps to secrete more growth hormone while you're sleeping, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, in terms of the hormones and in response to what you said, Tiff, I think it's, uh, I think in order for us to know what, what we can do to, um, to realign ourselves with this natural circadian rhythm i think it's important to know what should happen ideally so if you did have the proper circadian rhythm then what should be happening so um i'll try not to get too complex on this um but there are a few key hormones that 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 really regulate this this whole system and so it starts with melatonin now most people have probably heard of melatonin um usually after four hours of darkness at nighttime, after you've been exposed to, to no light and there's four hours of darkness, you'll begin to re- secrete melatonin. Now, what this melatonin does is it decreases the body temperature and it also in- it basically allows another hormone to enter the hypothalamus. So this hormone is called leptin. So the melatonin um, is released four hours after bed. It allows leptin to get into the hypothalamus now, what happens with leptin? Leptin enters the hypothalamus and it binds to a receptor in the, in the hypothalamus. It's called a leptin receptor. Now, this, this binding has two main effects. The first effect is that this causes a message to be sent to the thyroid gland, which upregulates free T3 production. 
Now, what this free T3 circulating actually does is it allows you to burn fat without... Um, it basically allows you to burn fat as free heat energy, not as ATP, not as energy as we know it, but as free heat. And that's why you, mm-hmm. that's why you release heat when you're asleep. Uh, you're basically burning off your fat in a much more uh, efficient manner. It takes a lot less energy to burn fat as free heat than it does to burn fat as ATP. Um, The second effect of um, leptin binding to the receptor is actually that it releases a surge of something called prolactin. So prolactin is another hormone, and this should ideally happen between between 12 a.m. and 2 a.m. in the morning. Now, prolactin has many different effects. It basically um, controls the different stages of sleep that you're going to go through, and it has a big effect on your metabolic processes. Um, But actually, most importantly, out of all of prolactin's functions, um, this signal actually triggers the release of something called called growth growth hormone, which you just mentioned, Gabby. Now, Mm -hmm. um, it's like a pulsatile pulsatile release of growth hormone, and what this basically allows the body to do is go through a process called autophagy, so autophagy is basically a process that your body goes through, which means that it recycles used and defective proteins. So when you go through your metabolic reactions in the daytime, you've caused a lot of damage and you've got proteins that are either defunct or aren't working properly. And so autophagy is like one of the most important processes that you go through during sleep. And this is basically to get rid of what you don't want and to keep what you do need and to repair everything else. So it's it's like your regeneration period, basically. So this is really important. Okay. Ooh. And, yeah, the, the thing is, this, this, this whole process could not only actually happen if you were, if leptin actually is, is, is receptive. So if you're leptin resistant, then you can't get that prolactin surge, which means that basically you can't go through autophagy. Um, and this Sorry. is probably why we see so much illness. Uh, so if people are leptin resistant, the chances are like if you're overweight or if you're underweight, you are very likely leptin resistant. And if you can't get to sleep at night or if you're waking up in the morning, like what we talked about with the adrenal um, stress in, in a few shows back, um, if you've got any adrenal stress in, uh, issues, there's a good chance that you're also leptin leptin resistant. So leptin resistance causes a lot of problems but also if you don't have this uh this this prolactin surge because you're leptin resistant then uh this actually lowers uh, a hormone called dhea and dhea actually sends a message to the intestines it increases intestinal permeability which means what that translates to is that it gives you a leaky gut so hmm. basically if your circadian cycle is off then you will by default probably have a a, a leaky gut and uh, this uh, this is completely independent of diet. So no matter what you do in your diet, no matter how many supplements you're taking, if you don't get the prolactin surge at nighttime because your circadian cycle's off, you automatically, well, you very likely have low DHEA levels, which means you have a leaky gut. So I think this sheds a lot of light onto dietary changes and how they may not be as effective or, or they may only contribute part of the way to actually healing the gut. Um, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. And well, it puts a whole new meaning about you know 
repair happens when you sleep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And in response to uh, eating when you wake up, like ideally at sunrise, you should have a, a cortisol surge. So you should have uh, your your cortisol gradually rises, and uh, you also have a, a hormone in the gut called ghrelin. Now, ghrelin stimulates growth hormone throughout the day. Um, what's really important to understand is that if you have low growth hormone, the chances are you, you're going to put on abdominal fat, you're going to put on body fat. And so people who have low growth hormone also have bad bo- body composition. They have body fat. They have low um, uh, or decreased uh, lean muscle mass. And so this, is, uh, this could shed light onto obesity. You know, if you if you if you if you have this messed up hormonal cycle, then um, yeah, you have lower growth hormone, and essentially you become obese. And this this is a good indicator of how circadian function also affects um, you know health and the effects that obesity can have on on the health and everything like that. Um, you know, it's just it's it's really it's quite complex, but I mean, it's it's quite astounding to understand how simply altering your light environment can can significantly affect um all of your all of your cellular processes you know yeah well i remember from our conversation with dr cruz that uh getting that actual natural sunlight in the morning was very important too right like to go outside and get into the sun when you're up in the morning mm-hmm. yeah you've got something called melanopsin in the uh well, you've got rhodopsin in the eye, but you've got a, another hormone called melanopsin. And so so looking at light as soon as you wake up, and preferably in the morning, any AM light is, is, is good. If you do that, that, that essentially triggers your suprachiasmatic nucleus to say it's daytime. You know, mm-hmm. and, and if you're not getting that sun in the morning, then, um, then, then your body doesn't necessarily know. Um, when it's daytime, so you're still in that rested state, so you don't have that high cortisol level in the morning. You know, you you you, do, you do. this 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 leads to things like uh, what is known as adrenal fatigue. It could very well be because you're not setting that circadian rhythm to tell you when to release that cortisol, and therefore you're feeling sluggish in the morning, and then you get your first bout of light at like 11 or 12 a.m. or something, and then you know, and then you start your day, and then you can't get to bed until 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's 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 multifactorial, but and and also eating in the morning as well. It's within sort of thirty thirty minutes to an hour. Um, if 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 you eat within that time, as soon as you wake up, um, you actually release gastrin um, and gastric acid um, to 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 digest the protein, and that essentially triggers your circadian rhythm as well, and so. Mm-hmm. The question is, if you eat a diet or if, if your breakfast consists purely of fat, so say you have like a fat brom with very, very sort of low protein, then you don't necessarily trigger that circadian rhythm with your food as well, um, you know? So it's... So jerky for it, breakfast. <laughs> it's, yeah, or I bacon. guess. <laughs> yeah, bacon. Yep. Bacon sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Mmm, bacon. <laughs> I know for, um, and I think Elliot, you had mentioned this once in the past too, when we were talking, um, it may have been off the show, but, uh, 
um, just about having like when you make dinner, you know, like make a little bit extra or set some aside so that you have that in the morning and you can eat it right when you wake up. So if you don't have the time to like make your breakfast, you can have something ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea because a lot of people don't have the time to cook like, you know, to cook bacon in the morning. They get up, they get they have a shower and then they go to work. Um, mm. So they don't end up having breakfast until 10, 10 o'clock or something in the morning. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a great idea to sort of cook, cook your breakfast, you know, late, late that night, you know, mm. have it the next day. There's lots of ways you can get around this, you know. Well, mm-hmm. plus if you get, you get yourself back into a circadian rhythm, um, you know, chances are you would have more time in the morning because a lot of times yeah. people don't have time in the morning because they're sleeping to the absolute last minute because they were up too late <laughs> the night before, right? Or because they were sitting there staring at a computer until like one o'clock in the morning. And um, that doesn't and- sound familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I think I think a, a lifestyle change can actually help you with that. Like it was kind of a revelation to me um, when I started waking up early enough to have time to leisurely go about what I needed to do before I left the house. Um, you know, waking up in the morning where it wasn't like you know, okay, I, I need exactly twenty minutes to to shower, get dressed, and leave the house. It was more like, okay, why don't I give myself like an hour and a half so I can kind of leisurely get up, take my shower, cook my breakfast, that kind of thing, and not be rush, 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 panicked. Um, and yeah, that was like a, a a revelation. And by forcing myself to do that, I would naturally start to go to bed earlier because I would be tired. So. You know, the, the, there's there's ways around it. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I don't have time in the morning. Well, maybe if you make time, it kind of forces that shift in your schedule. Mm. Well, well, also doing that at, at in the evening, um, several of the articles that uh, we read about this week, you know, one was called Sweet Slumber. Uh, it's just about creating a wind-down period. So like you're mm-hmm. saying, not staying up on the computer or TV till 11 o'clock, but having like a little wind down time where you, you know, have a nine o'clock and then you take a bath or a shower, have some tea, do some writing, do some reading. So your body has time to actually wind down and mm-hmm. prepare for sleep. Yeah. So don't read sod articles until one in the morning. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Don't get all angry at the state of the world right up until bedtime. (laughs) Well, uh, speaking of that, there was an article this week. Um, Your brain has a delete button and it activates during sleep. Mm. I thought it was a very beautiful article because it was explaining how you need to sleep in order to prune out, you know, feedback, you know, thought loops that are necessary to your cognitive life, (laughs) daily life. And, they said how it was so important to be mindful of what you're mindful of, especially before going to bed. Mm. You know, if you're like watching, you know, Game of Thrones or something, you know, <laughs> then what gets burned out during your sleep is like all the other important activities and only the ones related to Game of Thrones will be <laughs> sustained. <laughs> so I thought that was like, yeah. So after I read that, you know, yes, I literally did what you guys were, t- um, Talking about, you know, I brought out some books that I really wanted to think about <laughs> what is going mm. on in my life and emotional work. And mm. I want to yeah. sleep on this. <laughs> yeah, there is a related article called Sleep Problems Come from the Day, Not from the Night, Breaking the Cycle yeah. of Insomnia. 
So if you get eight hours of sleep, there should be about two hours of that. That is REM sleep where you dream and six hours of it should be deep restorative sleep. So when you're in that deep sleep phase, that's when your body repairs and you recharge your batteries. But if you're like watching Game of Thrones before you go to bed and you're having all these (laughs) dreams about axes and murders and red weddings and stuff, (laughs) it can reduce your deep sleep. So even if you get like eight hours of sleep, you'll still wake up tired. Mm. So... If your body is spending too much time filing away like the the events of the day and, you know, uh, you know incorporating memories into your long-term memory file during REM, if you're doing too much of that during sleep, you're not going to be very restful. So in the article they talked about you could do like a pre-filing exercise or you can do some deep breathing. Um mm-hmm. Not try to stop the thoughts that enter your head, uh, but just um, relax, do some deep breathing, uh, label certain thoughts that you have and kind of imagine yourself putting them away in a file cabinet so your body doesn't have to do so much work while you're sleeping during REM mm-hmm. sleep. Yeah, or even make lists of things that are kind of vexing you. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. lists can freak people out too. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, you can sleep with a heavy blanket. It's like some, you know, a hug all night long. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and another thing, um, going back to that book that I quoted at the beginning of the show, The Full Catastrophe Living, he talks about how we function so much on automatic pilot. And it might well be said that we are more asleep than awake when when we're awake. And so make a commitment to yourself to be fully awake when you're awake. I know that sounds a little redundant, but our view of not being able to sleep at certain times will change um, when we start to view our day-to-day activities being fully awake, you know? I, I don't know if that sounds, uh, again, redundant, but, you know, going to that whole thing of when you're awake to be as conscious as possible... And then mm. maybe your your sleep will start to improve. Well, I think they go hand in hand. It's kind of a chicken or the egg scenario. You know, I mean, if you correct your rhythms and you're sleeping better, you're going to be more wakeful during the day and have more of an opportunity to be more observant. Of course, it takes some conscious effort as well. It's not like you can just turn it on. Um, but, you know, I've definitely noticed that. And you can see that when you look around. You know, everybody who eats like the standard Western diet and sleeps like crap um, has that down period in the afternoon where you want to take a nap at like 2.30. Uh, and we shouldn't really be that way. You know, you should be awake when you're awake. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for a nice nap during the day. I agree. Like the siestas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Naps are nice now and again. Yeah. And even back in the day before a blue light and artificial light came about, there was segmented sleep. So people didn't necessarily sleep throughout the night in one big chunk. They would like sleep for about four hours and wake up for a couple of hours and do whatever, socialize, have sex, and then go back to sleep. And they were totally fine with it. They weren't stressing out like, oh, my God, I didn't get sleep. What am I going to (laughs) do? Yeah, that's true. Two-faced sleeping, it's called. Yeah. Yeah, and also sleeping yeah, in a good. cold room. But that was one of our articles: adapting 
uh, mm-hmm. to cold while you sleep enhances metabolism and improves your health. So I think it said, what, 60, 66 degrees Fahrenheit is the yeah. ideal environment to sleep in. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a necessity for me. I, I can't sleep when it's hot. No. Just can't do it. It is yeah. interesting that they also suggested a hot bath or a warm bath before going to sleep. Mm-hmm. That it helps. Well, I was wondering, if you're doing cold adaptation, maybe leave that for the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found enough, that doing cold baths helps me sleep better during the night. I don't yeah. do them right before bed, but I've noticed a big change in sleep once I've done them enough times in a row. Oh, yeah. It helps to relax. Yeah, it's interesting with the uh, with the temperature as well and... Um, I think um, that's one of the reasons why melatonin lowers the body temperature as well, and I think one of the reasons why sleep is 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 more efficient um, at a lower body temperature is because that process of um, autophagy, when you when you go through that re- regeneration, it's highly dependent on um, on the on the on the temperature of your body. If you, if your body's too warm, then um, then it, it simply can't can't work well, you know. Um, and there's there's also I, then again I'm I'm not I'm not too um, too clued up on on the on the real science behind this but there's um, some people who who claim that a lower body temperature um, or a colder environment um, increases the the ability of the mitochondria to um, to condense um, electron flow. So in a colder environment, you condense the energy, you condense the electron fr- flow, and therefore um, you can allow the mitochondria to um, to work more efficiently. And that's why people store their batteries in the refrigerator. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, know, I know we talked, I think we brought this up on uh, one of our recent shows where we were talking about cold therapy, but the um, if you are not into or for some reason can't get to, the uh, the full cold bath, um, doing uh, submerging your face into a bowl of cold water, also helps. Um, I haven't been able to do that on a regular basis. Well, not been able to. I just haven't made myself do it on a regular <laughs> basis. But the few times that I have done it, I noticed um, pretty much right away that I slept a lot better. Um, mm. And it kind of hurts at first if you're not cold adapted. Um, but over time, you know, you get to be able to like kind of submerge your face a little bit more and more. Um, and just doing that, you know, because those nerves are really connected to the rest of your body, uh, can help with that. Um, and I've noticed, uh, as well in regards to sleeping in total darkness, I mentioned this in the comments, but I've just recently, maybe for about a month have started wearing a silk eye mask when I sleep and my quality of sleep has gone up like way up. Hmm. Um, Yeah. So I know that, you know, you don't also, if you're doing the total darkness thing, it's also important that your skin is not exposed to light. But I've found that just having that, uh, that light, uh, you know, nice material over my eyes and having it block out the light, I, I've been sleeping a lot better. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so I think we are coming close to the, uh, the end of our program here. Why don't we go to... Uh, the pet health segment for a little bit. And um, when we come back, uh, have a recipe today for uh, sweet pork ribs. Not sugary, but sweet nonetheless. Mm. 
Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I would like to share with you a recording that talks about the Arctic ground squirrel and how this animal developed highly specialized adaptations to extreme environments and that it has a lot to teach us about circadian rhythms and biological clocks. Well, enjoy! It's a bright spring day on the tundra. All is still, and then comes the pitter-patter of little feet. This is the Arctic ground squirrel, for scientists interested in animals that have developed highly specialized adaptations to extreme environments. These little guys really take the cake, or carrot, and they have a ton to teach us about circadian rhythms and biological clocks timing mechanisms inside the brain that control activity levels. Arctic ground squirrels maintain circadian rhythms throughout the Arctic summer, even though it's essentially a constant light environment. With support from the National Science Foundation, physiological ecologist Corey Williams with the University of Alaska Anchorage and a team are at the Tulik Field Station in northern Alaska to study the Arctic ground squirrel on its home turf. At this time of year, the sun never sets in this beautiful valley. And you might guess the squirrels would take advantage of all that extra daylight to forage and fatten up for the long, dark, cold winter. But it turns out they don't. Despite constant daylight, these squirrels keep strict banker's hours, early to bed and late to rise. Body clocks have evolved to work just fine without the help of the day-night cycle so important to other animals, like humans. You have uh, one master clock that's located in the brain, and this is the clock that's entrained to the light-dark environment. So how do they do it? Data from body temperature loggers and light-sensitive collars suggest their body clocks are key to the quality of the light as well as temperature. It's only during this midday interval that it's warm enough to be within the thermoneutral zone for these squirrels. So if they're active at other times of day, then they would have to expend more energy while they're foraging. How ironclad is the squirrel body clock? Williams and company put them through a series of phase shift experiments in this chamber switching up light and temperature conditions to essentially give the squirrels a bad case of jet lag. How rapidly can they re-entrain in the absence of a light-dark cycle? And what are the energetic consequences of being out of phase with the natural environment? Back in Anchorage, environmental physiologist Lauren Buck works with squirrels in his lab year-round. This fellow was still hibernating, torpid as they say. Buck says clock disruptions are linked to many human ailments, seasonal affective disorder, obesity, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, even cancer. And those are good reasons to look at how an animal like the Arctic ground squirrel so finely tunes its body rhythms. Isn't it worth knowing how they do that? Is there a way that we could hijack that molecular machinery to better understand human clock function and maybe treat clock function when it's in poor repair. Answers to problems can be found in unexpected places. Just watch where you step. 
For Science Nation, I'm Miles O'Brien. They just keep going. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Zoya. That was very interesting. Um, let's see. Uh, today for a recipe. Um, so sweet pork ribs. Uh, so this is just kind of a, an amalgamation of a few different recipes. Um, and you can give it a try and tweak it to your liking. Um, maybe add different herbs and spices um, depending on your taste. But uh, start with three pounds of pork spare ribs. Uh, four minced cloves of garlic. Uh, you want one tablespoon of chopped fresh rosemary. Uh, one teaspoon of stevia, or the sweetener of your choice, so erythritol, um, xylitol, whatever you like to use, but use a teaspoon of, uh, of stevia. Um, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. Uh, one and a half teaspoons of salt. And mix that all uh, into a bowl. Uh, into a small bowl, so you kind of make like a, a, a paste, and you might need to add a little bit more uh, vinegar uh, to get it to the consistency that you like, but just play around with that. Um, play, preheat the oven to 425 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Um, actually, I'm sorry, let me step back. So you want to take that mixture that you made, rub it over the ribs, and then let them marinate uh, in the refrigerator for about an hour. Uh, you can go up to four hours, but an hour is good. So after that's marinated, then preheat your oven to 425 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, put the ribs into a, uh, a roasting pan. Um, pour a half a cup of water into the pan and then cover the pan tightly. So if you have a lid, then use the lid or you put uh, tin foil over the top of the pan and cover that tightly. Um, and then you want to bake at 425 uh, for about an hour and a half. Um, when you take it out, then uncover the ribs. Uh, turn the oven up to 450 degrees Fahrenheit and then roast them uncovered for about 10 minutes and then take them out and let them sit for another 10 minutes or so uh, before you eat. And they should come out very uh, nice and juicy and they have that little bit of a sweet edge to them with the um, the stevia and the apple cider vinegar. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the ribs. Oh, nice. Wow. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ribs usually call for uh, barbecue sauce, but uh, most barbecue sauce is is, is quite evil. Um, mm. But we do have a uh, – I, I, I want to say it's on the forum somewhere, but I need to look for this, and maybe I can find this for next week, but um, there's yes, somebody on the please. forum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, the I forum love my memories of barbecue sauce. <laughs> 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 Somebody on on the forum had a recipe for sugar-free and tomato-free barbecue sauce, which I'm very interested to try. So you know, I'll try to dig that up and, and see if we can't do that for next week. What was it made of? I, I, I don't remember. I want to say it was like maybe carrots. And, because uh, I tried it. I, we tried one once that was yeah. something that was on the forum. I think it used – it was a berry, like cranberries Cran- or something yeah. like that. Or, We've done yeah. it with cranberries. And it you can was do cherry, good. cherry also. Yeah, uh, it was really good. Yeah, it was very, very tasty. I think oh, I think we did one with those cherry. Now comes cherry season, so it will be very yep. appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very cool. We'll, we'll dig that one up for next week. Yeah, barbecue season. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks to our chat participants um, for uh, taking part in the chat there and uh, everybody for listening. Um, be sure to tune in to the SOT Radio podcast on Sunday at noon Eastern time. And if you're not in the, uh, in the U.S., uh, you know, or in the Eastern time zone, then you can um, just go to radio.sot.net and the time zone will be shown there for the show, but that is on Sunday. Um, and we will be back next week with a new topic. And get some so good thanks, sleep this week. Yeah. yeah. And some sunlight. Yeah. Get yes. some and some sunlight. Sun. Get out in the sun. <laughs> Sweet dreams. Bye. 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 <laughs>